0: Roger Williams University is hosting a crisis management seminar on May 3rd at their Providence campus. Crises, whether a natural disaster, cyber attack or financial instability, can have severe repercussions if not handled properly. This is where crisis management plays a pivotal role. Join Roger Williams' MBA students and expert speakers to learn how to prepare for the unexpected. The program is totally free and open to the public. You can register online at rwu.edu slash events crisis management symposium. Discover over 100 episodes of Bartholomew Town on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. This is... The Bartholomew Town Podcast. Create a
1: system where everyone within that structure feels supported and has the resources that they need to be successful. Whether it's teach, educating our students, or if it's the students in the classroom, learning. And it also should be an opportunity to uh, 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 a learning exchange. Because students are learning, but I also think that teachers can learn from their students.
0: Welcome in to another edition of the Bartholomew Town Podcast. I'm your host, Bill Bartholomew. On today's episode, I sit down with Providence City Councilwoman Nirva LaFortune. Great to catch up with Councilwoman LaFortune, a timely interview here, as uh, the Providence School's situation continues to unfold. The state takeover well underway, and kids go back to school in uh, just a couple, I guess, what, two weeks or something like that here. So in terms of the short game, yeah, it's kind of crunch time. Obviously, this is a long-term project when it comes to the state's uh, education, infrastructure in general, right? I mean, that's that's something we're looking at, a long-term strategy, but in the meantime, good to know the details, good to talk to people who really know what's going on, both uh, in terms of the city government, but also on the ground in education. That's exactly what Councilwoman LaFortune is, so uh, a, a fascinating conversation, uh, a quick one. I think we're, uh, we were in and out in about 20 minutes, a tight schedule for uh, each of us here, but I think you'll enjoy it. Uh, remember, you can support the Bartholomew Town podcast uh, in a very simple way. You can go to wherever you're listening right now, assuming it's a podcast app, and there's an option where you can rate and review a podcast and give, give an honest rating. I mean, if you think this is absolute garbage, then, I mean, if this is, like, the first time that you're listening or perhaps you listen, you've you listened to each episode as, as some kind of sadistic ploy to yourself, um, go ahead and give it that one star and, you're like, the best, like, most soulful bash review that you can possibly come up with. Let's be honest about it, Right. However, if you are into Bartholomew Town, if it's something you enjoy and and you want to support it without having to spend any money or anything like that, um give us a give us a little clickety click on on us by us, I mean me and you. That's right. We are Bartholomew Town. We need like an established EST 2018 placard support for the bartholomew town podcast comes from m duran studio providence's finest choice for commercial photography from headshots and portraits to high quality candidates check out their extensive portfolio at m give them a call today at 401 400 2328 or message book at m duran studio.com Com. All right, let's get you to my conversation with Providence City Councilwoman, Nerva Fortune. Let's get right into the story of the summer. The thing that's going to be really the, the pinpoint for this year is going to be the Johns Hopkins report and the Providence schools. I mean, obviously, that's not new in any way, shape, or form. What's your just human reaction to that and... And also your reaction to the steps being taken right now, particularly the state takeover and also the all-in call to action that the mayor's office has put out for basically a community painting sweeping uh, process to try to get the schools closer to back in shape. So everything we're at right now, what's your perspective?
1: My perspective. So as a parent as a graduate of PPSD, as an advocate of public education, it is disheartening. Um, but we also have to remember that what was said in the report is nothing new. These are things, some of the issues are, are issues that we've been talking about since I was in school over 20 years ago in um, the Providence public school system. So I think that this was going to eventually happen. There was a report that came out in the 90s. Yeah,
0: 93, right? Correct.
1: And I was in middle school, I think, when that report came out. Um, And so there are certain things that was said in this current report that was also prevalent in the previous report. Um, We need to take education seriously. Public education is important. We need to invest in our kids. There are many families, and, and particularly in a district like Providence, where majority of the, our students are low income, where English is not their first language. Uh, language, pardon. And, and as we were speaking, students speak Creole, different dialects of Creole from Cape Verde, from um, Brazil, um, from Haiti. People speak French. People speak various southeastern South. Eastern, South um, um, Southeast Asian languages, Um, you also have um, Spanish, which is the prevalent language um, in our district. And so we need to ensure that regardless of what language a student speaks, regardless of their socioeconomic background, regardless of their race, regardless of their gender, that we have a system that serves them and a system that provides them with resources so that they can thrive and be successful. I've been working in higher education for about 14 years right now, and I've worked at three various institutions. Um, They include public, private, and now an IV. And some of the students that struggle the most are students who come from marginalized communities. And so they are already going to face barriers when when they graduate from high school. So we need to make sure that whatever system that we have prepares them as much as possible so that they can thrive in the future.
0: That's not happening right now, in your view, at, at a fundamental level, that just the nature of what school is doing, never mind the buildings, never mind the rats, never mind that that discussion, it's just fundamentally flawed that, at the core level?
1: It's a systemic issue, and you're absolutely right. The structure that's currently in place is fundamentally flawed, and it's fundamentally flawed not just for the students, but also the people who are educating them, right? Um, During the press conference that the mayor held, there was a teacher who came out and and spoke so passionately about the issues that she faces while trying to educate her students. I met with a, a teacher who lives in my ward and who shared with me how difficult it is to try to manage such a large class, but also having to Take funds out of her own pocket just to buy resources because every student is coming in with different learning abilities right. and they have different needs and, and, or students who are, are getting by but they haven't met proficiency yet. And also we need to be careful of how we, we talk about proficiency because, you know, not all students test well. So if we're focusing proficiencies um, mainly on an exam where some students might be able to display proficiency in other manners, we need to look at how we can better educate our students, but also um, measure outcomes.
0: And measure, find a way to measure what is playing into a particular student's strengths as well. You know, you obviously need the full spectrum of education, but, you know, when you're leaning into something that you're passionate about, you're more apt to go after it. So testing misses that premise that is fundamental to, I think, just being a human being in this in the 21st century, which is freedom of choice. And sometimes testing, I feel like it can, you know, just sort of put you in a box as far as what you really have to uh, how you are going to learn.
1: Exactly, and, and and you know, but also with tests, you need to have a system, sure, to 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 measure how students are doing, um, because you want to also make sure that you can you can you can you can measure benchmarks and also see how students have progressed over time, um, but it shouldn't be solely one particular system. We we need to have varied systems or some sort of structure where there are two or multiple ways where we can measure that. Um, In terms of like, um, not just looking at testing, but also our student demographic has changed from the 1970s the 1960s even the 1990s when I was in school so it's also important to think about teaching pedagogy and how we're educating our, our students how instruction is being designed how um, how teachers are are actually teaching the curriculum um, you as you said you know students stu- you want students to be passionate so we need to find ways to ensure that our students are engaged because when students are engaged age, you see higher academic outcomes. And so we really need to think about how to um, provide more professional um, development opportunities, and not just one um, workshop, but a series of workshops. Um, Have, you know, mentor teachers who are supporting newer teachers, but create a system where Everyone within that structure feels supported and has the resources that they need to be successful. Whether it's teach educating our students or if it's the students in the classroom learning and it also should be an opportunity to a, 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 a learning exchange because students are learning, but I also think that teachers can learn from their students. Students are bringing in their unique strengths and talents and backgrounds, and it's important for our system to recognize and celebrate that. Um, And and it becomes part of our culture. And so... um, so it's just important to to look at not just one issue, but look at the systemic issues and also look at the barriers that have prevented our students, that have prevented our teachers from being successful. And also creating pipeline opportunities um, because t- students want to see teachers who look like them.
0: Right. That's something that's not happening now. I've had some people who are, uh, you know, have attended times too, and that has been something that they've cited as probably one of the major elements, is that a teacher who appears to come from a similar background, uh, and, and a similar demographic as the student, and that's absent in Providence for the most part.
1: And there are scholarly um, reports, um, studies that also show that, that teachers of color benefit all students across the board. Right. Um, Mount Pleasant High School has a teacher academy. Rhode Island College is right next to Mount Pleasant High School. And so one of the things that we need to look at is starting also at the high school level, even at the middle school level, and they do have like a summer program, um, but at the high school level figuring out how the school district can um, can, can can collaborate with Rhode Island College um, to create a, 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 um, a strong pipeline program so that students are, um, there's a curriculum that's in place that's preparing these young people to get into an educational program to one day become a teacher. One of the issues that have come up are gateway courses or gateway exams. There are certain criterias. You have to maintain a 3.0 GPA. You have to score a certain certain point on the exams. And if you're not meeting um, um, those, those criterias, you don't stay in the program or you don't get in. So there, ha- so we need to create a system um, or structure where from the time that the student starts ninth grade within that teaching academy, there's some sort of um, collaboration with a local institution. Um, and I use Rhode Island College because it's literally next door to yeah. Mount Pleasant High School. Right. Um, and, and, and that there's a curriculum in place that's preparing these students to enter into the institution and also become teachers. Um, The other thing that we should think about is um, some sort of residency program. um, Boston um, has a residency program, and um, the residency p- teachers who go through a residency program, they're more likely to stay in the teaching field longer, and they are more effective teachers. So I think one thing we need to think about is how do we create some sort of residency program to attract teachers of color to teach, but the residency program would prepare them to teach, and not just a month or two or a semester in the classroom, but have a full year with a mentor teacher in the classroom and perhaps the first half that they're you know they're shadowing the mentor teacher or they're working collaboratively with the mentor teaching co-teaching and then the second half they teach on their own mm. but we need to have a way to better prepare our teachers to teach so we can maintain we can um, retain them in the teaching workforce and I think we need to have incentives right we need to have incentives to encourage um teachers to teach and live in the city that they're teaching it. One of the things I remember growing up um, before the charter was lifted is going into the supermarket or going to the park and seeing my teacher there. Um, They were part of the community. I still remember living on the south side and walking to the library and seeing the librarian or the librarian walking with us because she lived on um, on the same block as us. And, 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 and those things are important because there's this cultural competency that's happening as well because these teachers are part of the community that the students are, and their families are living in. And so they're, they're building relationships with these individuals, and that's also very important. And so there needs to be, you know, more teachers of color in our systems. We need to have more cultural competency training. We need to ensure that teachers are getting support in terms of, like, curriculum they're learning the curriculum because there are curriculums that we've brought to the district, and they sit on a shelf, and yeah. the report also indicated that. Um, and part of the problem is that people struggle with teaching it, and, and, we're, and, and, and also having a testing model that is sustainable. Hopefully, um, the new testing model that we've implemented sticks, because I've been back to Providence for the past five years, and we've gone through three different testing models, Yeah, it's which wild. is problematic.
0: Yeah, it's, it's a disaster. For everyone. You know. Absolutely. Um, great stuff there. A lot of interesting points uh, to kind of add to the, the salad of conversation going around here. That's that's very, particularly when it comes to, uh, you know, rethinking how... Te- There's a lot of discussion about rethinking what school should be, but just really teacher training, teacher... Residency requirements going back to that those are topics that aren't you know, I'm not hearing that everywhere
1: and I don't know if it needs to be a residency requirement, but definitely an incentive
0: mm, mm. Um,
1: because everyone has different needs and 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 you know and we shouldn't tell people where they should live, but we should encourage. People to live in the city that they're teaching in. And so if that's going to happen, there needs to be some sort of incentive. And there are districts throughout the country. There are states throughout the country that's doing that. But more importantly, one thing I didn't say is um, community engagement. Clarence Stone has written about civic capacity and, and, and the community being involved um, in the education process and creating partnerships, private-public partnerships with our school districts and our state to ensure that our students and their families and our school systems have the support and resources that they need. But we need to have the um, community at the table and part of the conversation.
0: No doubt about it. That's something that Lieutenant Governor... And it, I, we had I interviewed him on uh, on radio a couple, like a week ago, and that was something that he really laid out was there should be conversation back and forth between the school department and the families of these kids, and that would in in theory anyway spark community engagement because you'd be you know aware of what's going on on a specific level. Um, I want to touch on just generally in the last few minutes here uh, your work on the council beyond the schools because it feels like that's sucking up a lot of attention. There's plenty of other challenges facing Providence right now. Um, Where do you want to start, I guess, right? (laughs) (laughs) Infrastructurally, there's still some, obviously, the opioid crisis, um, community police relations. I think Providence is extremely divided in a lot of ways, uh, practically speaking and mentally speaking. So, uh, you know, that's the you know, that's the big question is where do you where do you go beyond the uh, the education problem when it comes to rebuilding the city, I suppose?
1: So one of the major issues right now is also housing.
0: Um,
1: and, and that also aligns with um, homelessness and also aligns with the opioid, cri- opioid crisis mm-hmm. that also aligns with education. Um, um, so we need to ensure that we have affordable housing for um, for our residents. Um, many people are being displaced. Um, we have low housing stock. Um, we have land that is underutilized. And so one of the things I hope that we can accomplish as a city council is to, to get more resources to, to build affordable housing for our community. Um, one of the issues is that our state invests less than $10 on housing per person. Mass- in fact, uh, less than $8. Um, wow. Massachusetts invests about $99 for, per person on housing. So we need to, to have some sort of comprehensive plan around affordable housing. Um, one of the barriers is that for many developers, um, building affordable housing, um, they don't necessarily get a return on their investment. Um, because it's costly. Um, there's the tax. There's um, the permit process. Um, there's the price of of, uh, of material and building the structure. So also thinking about how we can um, we can look at zoning, um, implementing inclusionary zoning um, within some of our um, uh, some of our um, housing development. Um, but really think about how to better utilize some of our communities. I mean, look at North Main Street. There's empty lots in North Main Street. There are empty buildings in North Main Street. And North Main Street has one of the most, it has the most active transit line in the state of the R- Rhode Island. And the R-line goes from Pawtucket all the way to um, to Broad Street, the border of Cranston. So... There should be some sort of affordable housing units all along North Main Street, um, or um, inclusionary zoning where you may have, or mixed use um, 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 development where you can probably have a business on the bottom um, portion and then housing um, mm-hmm. where with different where people who live there have different income brackets on top. So one of the things that we should look at is how other cities that are similar to Providence are, are doing it. The other thing is um, road infrastructure um our sidewalks are not in the best condition um our roads um and 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 i and i want to say that we have a really great dpw director Mm -hmm. who and a really great dpw team who's been doing um everything that they can to try to mitigate the issue but it takes funding so um One of the things I want to think about is how do we create um, funding, um, a funding source to help mitigate um, the sidewalk, the the road and sidewalk infrastructure. Um, And also thinking about economic development, we still have the pension issue.
0: Yeah, um, that's the other elephant in the room. Exactly. Yeah.
1: And it's long term. We're not going to resolve it overnight. Um, I do think that the, um, the previous administrations have been setting up the groundwork to get us in a better place. Um, and that's why we're here today in um, the current administration as well. And so we need to also think about a long-term plan um, and how we can bring in, um, um, you know, a higher tax base or also bring in economic um, development and opportunities um, so that that burden is not it doesn't um, fall completely on the residents.
0: Councilwoman LaFortune, Uh, pardon me, Councilwoman LaFortune, glad we could uh, catch up here and uh, check in on some of the issues um, let's do it again soon yes absolutely, absolutely. let's see a, let's see how the schools play out here for over the next few months you know what's going to happen as far as practical head start going on so absolutely thank you so much thank Bill. you it was a pleasure thanks so much for spending part of your day with the Bartholomew Town podcast remember there's new episodes every Tuesday and Friday and over a hundred episodes right there for you at ripodcast.com bartholomewtown.com or wherever you like to get your podcasts. Until next time, I'm Bill Bartholomew. We'll talk soon.